Well, it's good to see you all here this morning. Let me see how many folks come from a more traditional backgrounds. Christ is risen. All right. That's how you're supposed to say it. I tweeted that this morning and I got about 100 tweets back. He's risen indeed. All right. That's, that's true. Amen. I'm going to title this message, Play Romaized. Play Romaized. One of the things that's fun about Woodland Hills Church is that we get to learn a lot of Greek. We love that, don't we? Uh, and uh, so I want you to learn this word. It can be, it'll become very important here in a moment, or at least a little bit down the road in this message. Pleromaized. Everybody say it. Pleromaized. Right. Actually, the truth is it's not a word at all. I made it up. <laughs> uh, I, but it should be a word. It should be a word for reasons that you'll see here in a moment. Uh, it is the verbal form of pleroma. All right. Which means fullness. We have been brought into fullness. We've been brought into fullness. On Easter, we uh, celebrate, of course, the resurrection of Jesus. We, we really don't make as much out of it here as, as some places do because our conviction is that uh, if the resurrection is true, then the last thing that we should be doing is thinking about it once a year. If the resurrection is true, and it is, then it ought to be on our hearts and minds every day of our life and ought to make a difference every day of our life. Uh, but we do think about, reflect on the resurrection here on Easter morning. And most often, resur- uh, Easter messages are about the future. I mean, because Jesus rose, we know that we shall rise. And because he rose from the dead, we know that, that there's coming a time when, when uh, uh, the kingdom will come in fullness and the creation will be restored and, and death doesn't have the last word and evil doesn't have the last word. And there's coming a time when there'll be no more wars and sickness and disease and hardship and, 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 and all of that. And, and praise God, that's beautiful, that's wonderful. Amen to that a thousand times. It is, it is our hope. Uh, and yet, that's not what I want to preach on this morning. I want to talk about the meaning that the resurrection has for us in this life, right here and right now. Uh, there's a, a marvelous song, by the way, on this that someone gave me after the last service by Switchfoot called The Afterlife. And, and the theme is, why should I wait till I die to start living? That's what I'm talking about. Uh, what, the meaning of the resurrection right here and right now uh, there's a lot of people, studies have shown that there's a, a good percentage of American Christians who really only hear two sermons a year. Uh, they hear the Christmas message and they hear the Easter message. And so to a, for a lot of folks, it, it seems to them that the, the meaning of, uh, of Christianity, the essence of the Christian faith, is just believing that Jesus was born and that he died and rose again. And their conviction is that if I just believe that, then that means I'm going to heaven and not going to hell. And I want to suggest to you that that is a very, 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 very extremely, extremely superlatively truncated version of the Christian faith. Oh, it means so, so much more than that. So much more than that. It has to do with here and now and uh, the transformation in our life here and now. And, and so what I want to show this morning is that if, if we're surrendered to Jesus, which is very different than just believing in Jesus, if we're surrendered to Jesus... Uh, then we're united with him, and we actually are made complete in him, pleromaized, and we are raised with him in a spiritual but profoundly, profoundly true sense. And that has to make all the difference in the world right here and right now. If we have any assurance that it will make any difference then, at the end of time, it's got to be making a difference now. And the challenge, I mean, it sounds crazy to say that we've been raised with him, but it is true. And the challenge of the Christian faith is to believe that and to uh, be transformed by that here and now, not later, but here and now. And the thing that really put this message on my heart for this Easter 
was actually the book that we've been studying here for the last six months at Woodland Hills Church. Actually, the exact same passage that we've been studying here for the last three months. We're never in a hurry to move on uh, here at Woodland Hills Church. So uh, we've been just chewing on this passage. And this present tense emphasis of the resurrection comes out of the very passage that we've been looking at. And we'll go forward a couple verses here this morning. But I want to read from the book of Colossians. And I love it. We don't even have to take a break from the study of the book of Colossians to preach on Easter. I love it. So we're going to be looking at Colossians chapter 2. Verses 8 through 13. Those who are regulars here probably have verses 8 and 9 already memorized because we've read it so many times. But here Paul says, listen to this now. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than Christ. We talked about those elemental spiritual forces last week, and I encourage you, if you weren't here, to get that because uh, it, it, it just rocks some foundational aspects of our, of our contemporary world and the way we live in it. So just check that out. But then he says, For in Christ all the fullness, and he uses that word pleroma, which means fullness, all the pleroma of deity lives in bodily form. And in Christ you have been brought to fullness. fullness uses the word, the verb, plerao. That's the verbal form of pleroma. Hence my word, pleromaized. Because the fullness is in Christ, and we are in Christ, his fullness is given to us, we've been pleromaized. Told you it should have been a word. He is the head over every power and authority. In him, we, you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed with human hands. Your sinful nature was put off, when you were circumcised by Christ, having been, listen to this, having been buried with him in baptism, buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him, raised with him through your faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive. You were dead, but now if you're surrendered to Christ, you're alive with Christ. He forgave us all of our sins. He forgave us all of our sins. That's how we're alive. Praise God. Pray with me here just for a moment. Uh, Abba, Father, I bless every person in this auditorium and all of our parishioners and all folks who are tuning in through television or any other means. And uh, Abba, I pray that your spirit would just, I thank you for the way you've been here during the worship. Oh, it's just been beautiful. But now, Lord, we ask that you come here and infuse these words with your authority. And Lord, that you'd use these words to do what human words in themselves can do. And that is to break strongholds, to tear down walls, uh, to heal wounds, to free us from lies, to set the captives free. God, I pray that you'd use this message to pull any who are on the, on the parameter of the kingdom and pull them in to the heart of the kingdom and make them fully devoted disciples. And I pray, God, for all of us that you use this message to ground us and deepen us, uh, to walk in the truth, to think the truth, to live the truth, to put on display the truth, for the truth is magnificent and you are the way and you are the truth and you are the life. So be present here, we pray. We surrender this message to you in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, amen, amen, amen. I'll get back to this passage here in a moment. We're going to study it in some depth. But I want to start by sharing two incidences from my life that illustrate the point I want to be making here this morning. Uh, the first one is this. Uh, a number of years ago, five or six I guess it was, I was driving over to my sister's house and getting out of the car, and I had to gather a bunch of stuff, some books and some other things, 
and I couldn't find my stupid cell phone. I, I, I don't know what it is with me and cell phones and me and keys, but we're allergic to each other, so I'm always losing them. But I really needed it, and so I was looking for the cell phone. I looked on the dashboard where I usually put it, and it wasn't there. You know, I looked uh, under the seat, and I looked under everywhere. I just could not find the stupid cell phone. Finally, I had to tell the person I was talking to that I'd have to call him back. I couldn't find it. Okay, who else has done that? Come on, honesty here. All right, see? It's really quite embarrassing when, when you realize it. Not my brightest moment. I grant you that. Not my brightest moment. Fortunately, it wasn't my dumbest either, but uh, it, it was up there. You see... I was looking for the very thing I had. I was looking for the phone that I was talking to. It's like I was looking for something that was too close for me to notice it. The mistake I made was in thinking that I lacked something that I actually had. In fact, the only thing I really lacked is the awareness that I didn't lack anything. And that's the point I want to make this morning. The only thing I lacked was my awareness that I didn't lack anything. How that can trip us up. We search for stuff that we've already got. Second uh, incident in my life I want to share to illustrate this. Um, and on this one, you're going to have to just trust me for about two or three or maybe ten minutes that it really is relevant because it won't seem like it at all. Uh, you won't know what it has to do with Easter or this passage or anything, but, but believe me, it, it, it fits. Uh, it has to do with a dream I had, actually a nightmare I had about 25 years ago, the most bizarre nightmare I've ever had most graphic, terrifying nightmare I've ever had. Uh, and the fact that I can remember it vividly 25 years later tells you how bizarre and memorable it was. Now, after I shared it last night, my team of folks who helped me uh, put the messages together, they said, Greg, you got to reel it back a little bit uh, because uh, you're a little too graphic, a little too explicit, a little too terrifying. Uh, there are kids who are going to need therapy after that thing. So I am going to translate this uh, when I get to, thank you, <laughs> thank you, uh, so that uh, you'll know what I'm talking about uh, if you're over the age of 12, but probably not if you're under the age of 12, so just follow me on this. Uh, I was at Bethel in 1987, my first year teaching there, and I was teaching a class on world religions, first time I'd ever taught this class, um, and so I was kind of scrambling. I was, we were studying Hinduism, and the task at hand was to try to explain to students or illustrate to students the, the Hindu concept of Maya. Ever heard of that? Maya is this their belief that the world is a dream. And the goal is really to wake up to the fact that it's a dream. The world is an illusion of sorts. Maya. And so I must have been thinking about Maya when I went to sleep because I dreamed a dream that perfectly illustrates it. In this dream, this nightmare, a person breaks into my house, this hideous-looking man, hideous. Uh, he's got like this Freddy Krueger face uh, on the Nightmare on Elm Street movies that I hope none of you have ever seen. Uh, it was just absolutely ugly. And he comes in, and I go to try to stop him because I know he has ill intent for my family. And he takes out this uh, device, uh, this, this uh, uh, thing that would be useful for um, uh, violent purposes. And he... <laughs> He, he transports my torso uh, away from my legs uh, and relocates it. And so I'm on the ground, uh, my torso, with a lot of my uh, hemoglobin around. Uh, it was just not a, not a nice dream at all. It was, it was nasty. And so this hideous-looking guy who has just dismantled my torso goes into 
the, the bedroom where my wife is, is sleeping with his device of, of violence and, and he uh, bludgeons her and, and does to her what Vincent Van Gogh did to his ear, if you get my drift. And, and just discombobulates her and her hemoglobin is being diffused throughout the room. It was just a nasty, nasty dream. It was macabre. And uh, in the end, she falls off the bed and is on the floor leaning against the wall. And she's looking like a Picasso painting. Uh, uh, and it was just, and I am trying to get to her and stop him, but I don't have any legs. Plus, it's one of those nightmares where you're moving in slow motion. You ever have that? There? I hate that. Where you're like you're trying to go, just can't move. It's just so heavy. Oh, it's terrible. And then... This hideous guy goes downstairs, gets my two girls, and is heading out the door with them. And now I'm just in, a, in, in just the worst state possible. It was just abhorrent. I was beside myself. Um, and just as he's going out the door with my two girls, he turns around and looks at me. And I, our eyes meet. And there was a little, kind of a, a twinkle in his eye, a, a, a sort of mischievous look in his eye. And the minute I noticed that, the, the dream went into kind of a freeze frame. No silence, no movement or anything. It was just frozen. I was really puzzled. My heart's still racing 100 miles an hour, minutes or whatever. And then, uh, uh, then I turn over and look at my Picasso uh, discombobulated wife. And um, she, her eyes are open now. And she's got this twinkle, this mischievous look in her eyes. I'm really puzzled. And then I hear some giggling, and I look over at my daughters who are still under the arms of this hideous guy. They're starting to giggle. Very confusing. And then I see, hear my Picasso wife starting to giggle. I look over, and she start, she start, her eyes are still open, and she's still all you know, mangled. But I, 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 she's laughing now or giggling. Very odd. And then I look back at this guy, and our eyes meet again. And now he, he just kind of nods his head like this, and he starts to giggle himself. And all of a sudden, I get it. I get it. I wake up. Well, I mean, it's called a lucid dream. You ever had those? I've had like two or three in my life where you're aware that you're dreaming in the middle of the dream. And the, as soon as I realized this, uh, part of it was just relief, but, but there's also something comical about it. I, I start laughing. And then my girls start laughing and the guy starts laughing and my wife starts laughing uh, because I realize that I'm doing, this is all me. This is my brain. This is my imagination. These are all my neurons popping. While I'm in the dream, I'm thinking this. You're just my neurons popping, and you're a bunch of neurons, and I'm doing this to myself, and it seemed hilarious, and we break out this outrageous laughter. My, my girls are laughing so hard, their bodies are shaking, and I look over at my Picasso wife, and, and she's still on that, she's still mangled up on the, on the floor, but she's laughing so hard, it's like, like this, and she had one of her anatomically dislocated members out in front of her, and, and it's jiggling with the laughter. And she and I notice it, and the la we start laughing even harder to the point where I'm, t I'm crying, I'm laughing so hard, and I can't even breathe. And I try to say I can't breathe. I, I, I go, I can't breathe. And then it hits the pinnacle, and then I wake up. And I wake up laughing to the point where I'm out of breath and I'm crying. It was just bizarre. Would you agree? That's a bizarre nightmare. That's a, that's... Um, but see, what, what I got... And it, provides a really good illustration of Maya, but it also provides a good point of what I'm trying to make here this morning, and that, that's that I was doing this to myself. I, this was all me. I was terrorizing myself, and because I was trapped in this illusion, if you will, I was trying to stop something that was never actually happening. 
And I was trying to acquire something, namely the safety of my family, that I actually already had. But I was too close to the situation to see it, if you will. I was on the inside. I had to step out in order to realize what the situation was all about. I had to wake up in the midst of my dream. Sometimes, many times, we're frustrated by, tormented by the things that we already have. But we, we, we don't realize it. The, the one thing we lack is that we, have, have, we lack the awareness that we don't lack anything. Now, you ask, what does that have to do with the passage that we read? It has everything to do with the passage that we read. Paul here is, as we've said in the study of uh, Colossians, he's battling this thing called Gnosticism. There's a religious movement in the ancient world. And uh, these Gnostics were kind of um, luring the Colossian Christians uh, away from the truth. So Paul, as their apostle, wants to stop this. And the Gnostics believed in the pleroma of God, the fullness of God. But they thought that this fullness, this pleroma, was diffused throughout the angelic realm. So they had all these different ranks of angels who reflected the pleroma of God in different ways. And they believed that they had secret knowledge, secret revelation of, of the different angels and how uh, you could experience these different angels. And to, if you wanted to be complete, if you wanted to be fully alive and be all that God wants you to be, you needed to know about and experience this entire angelic realm. And so they're saying to the Colossian Christians that you're too narrow because you're, you're, you're limiting yourself to Christ. If you want the pleroma, you've got to know what we know. You've got to get in on our secret. You've got to uh, be, be experiencing this entire angelic realm. So to battle that, Paul says, what we just read, see to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy. For in Christ, all the fullness Pleroma, all of the pleroma of the deity lives in bodily form. And in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. Uh, he's saying that everything, in contrast to these Gnostics, you don't find the pleroma of God by knowing all about the angelic realm. And to know the fullness of God, you don't have to go this place or that place to know that angel or that, this angel or have this religious experience or that religious experience. Uh, rather, to know the pleroma of God, you just need to know Jesus. Because everything that makes God, God is found in Jesus. The fullness of what makes God, God is found in Jesus. All that can be known about God, you know, in Jesus Christ. It's, it's, it's a foundational truth of the faith, how we need to lock this in. Uh, keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. The fullness of God is found in Jesus. And since the fullness of God is found in Jesus, then your fullness is found in Jesus. Uh, since he is the fullness of, of God towards us, if we want to be complete, be fully alive, be all that God wants us to be, well, we don't need to look and we should not look anyplace other than to Jesus Christ. Our fullness is found in him. See, when we surrender our, our lives to Christ, when we genuinely surrender our life to Christ, Paul has been teaching us, we're united with Christ. Salvation isn't this long-distance phone call or long-distance relationship with, with God far, far away. No, we are literally united with Christ. We are literally incorporated into Christ. And, and the relationship is so, so strong, it's, it's in such solidarity that everything that Jesus is, he gives to us. He gives us his entire self. And, and so all that is his by nature, he gives to us by grace. He shares himself by grace with us. This is what salvation is all about. And so, folks, his pleroma is now our pleroma by grace. His fullness, the fullness that he is by nature... He gives to us by grace. So his life, uh, that is his by nature, he gives to us by grace. 
And he gives us, he shares with us his joy, the fullness of his joy. And he shares with us the fullness of his peace. Everything that is his by nature, he gives to us by grace. In fact, when we are incorporated into Jesus Christ, united with Jesus Christ, then, and this is the most beautiful thing, the very relationship that he has with the Father and the Spirit now becomes the relationship that we have with the Father and the Spirit because we are in Christ. So it means that we are, as we're in Christ, we are loved by the Father with the same love that he has for his own son. And we participate in the son's love for the father, that same very love. We're caught up then in the life of the triune God. As I said several weeks ago, we're squished into the inner being of the triune God. As Peter says, we're made participants of the divine nature because we're in Christ and he participates in the divine nature. We're never God. We never will become God. But, but, but we, we are made dance partners with God, participants with God, and it goes on throughout eternity. All the fullness is found in Christ. We've been pleroma-ized in Jesus Christ. It couldn't be more beautiful. It couldn't be more wonderful. It couldn't be more mind-boggling glorious. This is fantastic. And then Paul tells us how we're pleroma-ized, how we're made full in Christ. Listen to this. We read it. It's also found in this passage. When he says, For your sinful nature was put off when you were circumcised by Christ. He's making a spiritual application of a physical thing here. Uh, and the details I don't want to go into, but in physical circumcision, something is put off. Well, in the same way, our sinful nature is put off. Having been buried with him. See, I am getting better at censoring myself. I think a couple of years ago, I would have went ahead and said that, but I didn't this time. Good for me. Two points. <laughs> it's so hard to censor. It's how you have no idea what I censor up here. So much good humor is done right now. Uh, he says, have to be rated G. So, having been buried, look at, buried with him in baptism. You were buried with him in baptism when you united with him, and in which you, you also were raised with him through your faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. Get this. Here's how we're pleromaized. See, Paul is fighting the Gnostics, the temptation of the Gnostics, by reminding the Colossians, the very thing I'm trying to remind us of, of, of here this morning. You are complete in Christ. You are complete. And so to remind them of their completeness, he reminds them of their baptism. Because baptism is the initiation rite that symbolizes our union with Christ. And so Paul is saying, when, that you, when you put your trust in Christ and surrender to Christ, you're united with him. And therefore, his death is your death. And when he went down in the tomb, you went down in the tomb. That's what's symbolized by, by, by going under the water. And then he's saying that when you were united with Christ, because you're united with Christ, when he came up out of the grave, you came up out of the grave. When he came up out of the tomb, you, in some very real sense, this isn't poetry, ontologically, metaphysically, in a spiritual way, you came up out of the grave. His resurrected life is now your resurrected life, just like his death is now your death, because you're united with him. And that's symbolized by the person coming up out of the water. Folks, this is what salvation is, is all about, and it is, it is just glorious. We are united with Christ. Uh, we are, Paul likens it elsewhere in Ephesians 2, the one flesh relationship we have, a husband has with a wife. So everything that's true about Jesus now becomes ours by grace. So his death is our death. And what that means is that our old self, that's the self outside of Christ, that petty self, everything that's bad about you, everything that's contrary to the character of God, that self, that, that, that nasty self-centered self, it is dead because you're united with Christ and you participate in his death. And conversely, uh, that your true nature now, your real nature now, the, the you that came out of the tomb, is, is, it shares in Christ's resurrection. His life is now your life. 
the resurrected Lord now lives in you and through you, praise God. And so your old nature is dead and the new you, the true you has come alive in Jesus Christ. You're complete in him. His joy is your joy. His love is your love. His peace is your peace. His power is your power. You are one with him. We're complete. Not in the future. Not some days, some down the road. He's, look at the tense of these verbs. You have been buried. You are risen. It's a, it's a reality now, folks. Easter is not just about or even primarily about a belief on something that's going to happen way down the road someday. It's about here. It's about now. It's about our life right as we're living it now. It's, it's, it's about our union with Christ right here and right now. Now, somebody, somebody, I'm sure, as you're hearing this, either in this auditorium or, or through podcasting or whatever, you're saying to yourself, this guy is nuts. And I don't blame you. Uh, it does sound kind of nuts. You're saying to yourself, look, at I, you know, Jesus is my Lord. I surrendered to him. I'm saved. But I don't feel complete. I feel resurrected. I feel kind of dead. Maybe you're feeling like your life is a mess. It feels anything but resurrected. You don't feel like you're dead to sin. Uh, you don't feel like your old sinful nature is dead. It feels very much alive right now. Maybe very much alive last night. Maybe very much alive this morning. So what's all this talk about dead, risen, united with Christ? Look, I, I got that, and, and I'm not, we got to be real with this. None of us, none of us experience this completeness in Christ and this resurrected nature in Christ. None of us experiences it 24-7. None of us experiences it consistently. Truth is, maybe more often than not, we don't experience it. But see, that doesn't change its truth value. It doesn't change the fact that it's true. We must always be on our guard to never in, in, invest our experience with the authority to define truth. Worst mistake you can possibly make. We can't ignore the reality of our experience, but, but we've got to decide that, that what God reveals about us in Christ is true, even if it doesn't agree with our experience. So it, we don't experience this consistently. We feel dead sometimes. We don't feel resurrected. And sometimes our sinful nature gets the better part of us, even though it's dead. See, this was true of the Colossians, no doubt. They were human beings, and all human beings are in process. This is the process here, folks. That's why salvation is sometimes spoken of in the present tense in the New Testament. We're being saved. So the Colossians had times where they felt empty, maybe more times than not. And that is why the Gnostics could tempt them. Holy Spirit, help us to grab hold of this. You see, the Gnostics come along, and they're selling a show here. There's a lot of folks selling shows out there, making promises that are not true. They come along and they say, oh, what? You're not feeling full all the time? Well, maybe you don't have the pleroma. You have part of the pleroma, but you don't have the whole pleroma. Because, see, Jesus is part of that angelic realm, but you, if, you, if you want it to be complete, if you want to be full, you want to know the pleroma of God, you've got to get in on our secret. You've got to get in on our experiences. You've got to know about the angels. And so in their more down moments, a Colossian Christian could be tempted by that. Because we all want to feel fullness of life. That's what drives us. See, this, folks, has been the strategy of the enemy from day one. Go back to the garden. Serpent comes to Eve and convinces Eve that she's not okay. Convinces her that she's not content. She was content. Did you ever have that happen where someone convinces you that you're not happy even though you thought you were? <laughs> it's, all, it's, a, it's a strategy of the enemy. You're not okay as you are. And so he paints a lie about God and a lie about Eve, and Eve starts to feel empty. And, and, and the serpent convinces her that if she wants to be all that she can be and fully alive and fully actualized and, you know, and all that, well, then he's got something that she needs. She's lacking something. You're lacking something. He can give it to her. 
He's going to now get her to start chasing the things she already had. I mean, the serpent says, hey, you know what? If you eat of the tree, you can be like God. Well, you know what? She already was. She's made in the image of God. And see, but she's now in a deluded state. And so she starts chasing what she has already got. She goes after this tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And, and you know the rest of the story. It's, a, it's the essence of, of the enemy's strategy. He says, you're defective. There's something wrong with you. There's an emptiness there. And your completeness is found somewhere other than in Jesus Christ. And the minute we believe that lie, then we become mice on a wheel chasing the ever-elusive cheese of completeness. Because our heart of hearts wants fullness. We want fullness of life. We were made for fullness of life. We're hungry for, for fullness of life. We want to feel fully alive and have a life that's meaningful. So we chase it. That's why the human race has been a rat race throughout history. Just endlessly chasing the elusive cheese of completeness, never finding it. And, uh, and, and it's exhausting. So what the enemy does to believers, to disciples of Jesus who actually have the completeness, he's got to convince us that we don't have it. And that if we want it, we got to look someplace other than Christ. That's exactly what's having, happening with these, these Colossians Christians. And when we believe that, then we too become mice on the, on, the, on the wheel chasing the elusive cheese. And so there are some believers who, even though they're one with Christ, united with Christ, and are complete in Christ, they start chasing religious systems. They start chasing religious... They buy a religious lie that if only they can be holy enough, well, then they'll be complete. Or if only they believe all the right doctrines, then they'll be complete. Or if only they attend these seminars, or if only they can get to this revival or that revival, or if only they can have this mystical experience, or if only their teeth can turn to gold, or if only they can be there where the gold dust falls, or if only they can speak in tongues, or if only this, or if only that, or some folks dabble in Eastern mysticism or whatever, trying to feel some fullness. When in fact they've are, they're already full, but they're, they're, they, they, the only thing they lack is the awareness that they don't lack anything. So they're chasing it. Or then some folks buy the secular lie, and they chase the American dream. Here they are. They're united with Christ. They've got the fullness, but they start getting hungry. And, 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 and so they chase after the big house and the better car and the nicer clothes and, 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 and the success and the reputation and the fame and whatever, trying to get full. And of course, it, it never works. The enemies lie. And then there are some folks who, they, the version of a lie they believe, it just says, well, you know what? This is, the, this is as good as it gets. And so uh, you just got to wait for heaven to come. You know, you're not going to have any kind of fullness until, until the kingdom comes because we are sitters and, and we can't make any kind of progress. And so these folks think that Christianity is all about believing in Jesus, sitting on your butt, waiting to die, go to heaven, and that's all there is to be said about it. It's a real truncated view of the faith. Folks, what, what Paul is saying here in these passages, and it's so, so profoundly important, uh, he's saying, don't buy the lie. Don't buy the lie. It is true that none of us experience with full consistency, 24-7, the completeness that we have in Christ and the resurrection life that we have in Christ. That's true. But that doesn't change the truth of it. It doesn't change the truth that we are, in fact, and we are, in fact, complete. It doesn't change the truth that if you're surrendered to Christ, there is absolutely nothing that you lack, whether you know it or not. And if you lack anything, it's simply the awareness that you don't lack anything. And so the one thing that is needful is to wake up to that. Wake up and realize that you've already got it. Wake up and realize that, 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 that it's already yours. It's there for free. He died to give it to you. He raised to give it to you. And the way we grow in our capacity to experience that is precisely by stop chasing stuff and to get deeper into what we've already got and to know it and to live it and to think it. 
will never grow in our capacity to experience our identity in Christ, our union with Christ, and our completeness in Christ. We'll never grow as long as we're chasing religious experiences or chasing the American dream or just sitting on our butt waiting to die. No, no, see, if we're going to grow, the only way we can grow, and this is, this is the essence of our discipleship, because we're always supposed to be growing. The way we grow is by accepting that we've already got the completeness. The way we grow is by accepting that, in fact, we actually lack nothing. The way we grow is by waking up uh, and, and realizing that it's the feeling of emptiness that is the lie. And the lies we believe that make us feel empty, that is the lie. The way we grow is by waking up to the reality that we've been trapped in a bad dream that tells us that we need to get something or acquire something or prove something or achieve something in order to experience completeness. The way we grow is by waking up and realizing that we've been caught in this self-inflicted hallucination. That's a lie that our, our old self is not dead. That's a lie. We've we, we got to wake up to this hallucination that we haven't risen with Christ. We've got to wake up to the hallucination, the dream, this bad dream, that we don't have a new nature and that we're not complete. The way we grow, the way we grow in Christ is by realizing that we're looking for the telephone that we're talking on. And the way we grow is by realizing that, that, that we're in this self-inflicted dream that's making us, made us forgot that our true self. So we're chasing after a false self and chasing after a false completeness. The way we grow is by realizing that the enemy's lies always get us to try to acquire that which we already have. And so the way we grow is by getting our minds to line up with what is true and getting then our lives to line up with what is true. We don't have to go anywhere or achieve anything or acquire anything. You already got it if you're surrendered to him. Now it's just a matter of getting that brain of yours to line up, getting your heart of yours to line up with that truth, and then getting our lives to line up. So let me close this by reviewing three things that Paul says in the passage we read here this morning. Three things that are true about us in Christ. Number one, he tells us you are already pleromaized in Christ. You are already complete in Christ. If you've surrendered to Christ, you're united with Christ, that means his fullness is your fullness. End of discussion. It doesn't matter that you don't feel full in Christ. You don't feel full. You don't feel complete. It doesn't matter. I'm not telling you to ignore your experience and feelings, but I'm telling you never invest your, your feelings and experiences with the authority to define what is true. I'm telling you on the authority of the word of God that you are complete in Christ. You are united in Christ. All that he has by nature is given yours by grace. And if you lack anything, it's simply the awareness that you don't lack anything. Praise God. And, and so I, I, I'm telling you on the authority of Christ that, that you've been looking for the phone that you're talking in and you've been caught in a bad dream trying to acquire something that you've already got. Uh, now is the time to start living out the completeness. Praise God. Don't wait till you die to start living, as this song says. Now's the time to manifest your completeness in Christ. Now's the time to start being fully alive. Now's the time to start thinking the truth and living the truth and believing the truth and saying the truth. And so I encourage you to make time to, uh, in prayer, envision yourself complete in Christ. And remind yourself throughout the day that you're complete in Christ. And, 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 and look for opportunities throughout every day to manifest your completeness in Christ. Because on the word of God, I'm telling you, you are complete in Christ. And then he says, we've already seen it. Your sinful nature is already dead. Your sinful nature is dead. If you've surrendered to Christ, you're united with Christ. When he died, you died. End of discussion. 
It doesn't matter that you don't feel like your sinful nature is dead. It doesn't matter that you're still struggling with sin. Maybe, maybe right now you're in a lot of bondage. If you're surrendered to Christ, I'm not saying ignore that reality, but that's not the truest thing about you. The truest thing about you, I'm telling you on the authority of God's word, is that you, your old nature, is dead, praise God. I'm telling you on the authority of God that, that you are righteous. If you're surrendered to Christ, you're righteous, you're holy, praise God. Christ shares with you his righteousness. That's what salvation is all about. I'm telling you on the, on the authority of the word of God that, that your lust issue, is that lust is dead. You don't know that yet, apparently, but you're, that lust is dead. And that addiction is dead. That anger over there is dead. That gossip problem, it's dead. Gluttony, it's dead. That, that your cheating is dead. Your lying is dead. Your stealing is dead. Your racism is dead. Now, maybe you don't know that because you're brain damaged and so am I. But see, the whole task of disciples, the way to grow out of that is by realizing that you've already got it. You've already got it. And you've been talking, you've been, you've been talking on the phone you're looking for. And you, you've been caught in a bad dream that tells you that it's not true. But I'm telling you, it is true. And so now is the time to start manifesting that truth. Uh, in, in prayer, see yourself. Can you envision yourself? What do you look like when you really know and live out the truth that your sinful nature is dead? And, 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 and remind yourself of that truth throughout the day. And look for opportunities when temptation strikes. That's when you remind yourself that it, that old nature is dead. Don't let the enemy lie to you. Start chasing stuff that you already got. No, you've got the wholeness. You've got the life. Now's the time to start manifesting it. Your old self is dead, which leads to the third point. And that is, you already have resurrected life in Christ. Yes, you do. See, you do the math. Just do the math. If you surrender to him, you're united with him. When he rose, you rose. End of discussion. It's that simple. And it's... It, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter that you don't feel very resurrected this morning. Uh, it, it doesn't matter. Maybe you feel totally flat. Maybe you are in depression and despair. Maybe, maybe you feel lifeless. I'm not saying ignore your feelings and experiences. Do, they're there. They're there, and you have to address them and be honest with them. But see, at the same time, you've got to know if you're surrendered to Christ, that's not the truest thing about you. No, the truest thing about you is that you uh, share in the resurrected life of Jesus Christ. And so I'm telling you on the authority of God's word, which is more true than your experience. You are raised with Christ. He's given all that he has to you. You share in his resurrected joy. You share in his resurrected love. Praise God. You share in his resurrected peace. Praise God. You share in his resurrected power. Praise God. Eternal life starts now. The life that you'll be living throughout eternity, you already have it. Now is the time to start manifesting it. Now is the time to start celebrating it and living it. In a real, real sense, you're never going to die. Not your spirit. No, you're alive in Christ Jesus. You've got divine life flowing through you. If you lack anything, it's the confidence that you don't lack anything. You're talking on the phone that you're looking for. And you're trapped in a bad dream that tells you that you're not resurrected with Christ. I encourage you to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You know, some folks maybe are thinking right now, you know, this sounds like a positive confession message. And in a sense, it is. I know the word faith movement. There's a true principle that the word faith, for those of you who know what I'm talking about, that, that they have. Um, they, I think apply it in some wrong ways. I, I don't think we're promised to always have perfect health and to have wealth. Uh, but that doesn't negate the truth that they have, that, that we are to get our minds and our lives and our thoughts to line up with what God says is true. And so the job, our job, folks, right now, is to, to stand in the truth and think the truth and pray the truth and envision the truth because that's how we grow into the truth and out of the lie. 
On the authority of God's word, I'm telling you, you are raised with Christ, and it starts now. So make special times of prayer where you envision that. What do you look like? What do you look like when you manifest the resurrection life of Christ? And, and then remind yourself of that throughout the day. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And, and, uh, and look for opportunities to manifest that truth, uh, to put on display the life that you have in Christ Jesus. Now is the time to start doing that. Don't wait till you die to start to live. The resurrection is not primarily about a belief about what's going to happen at the end of the age. It's a reality we are to be participating in right here and right now. So folks, the bottom line is this. I, the world is uh, in a state of decay. You know that. Uh, the world has fallen. Uh, the world still has the stench of death all around it. The whole creation groans in travail pains for the manifestation of the sons of God. We're not going to pretend that that's not true. And our physical bodies are part of that still stenched death uh, uh, world, that fallen world, that decaying world. And so as you turn the corner, uh, you notice that your body starts to break down, the aches and pains are there. I got some amens here. You know, your neck doesn't turn right, you know, and, and you can't run like you used to run and bend like you used to bend and see like you used to see. And your brain, unfortunately, is also part of your physical body, so it starts to decay and you don't remember what you used to remember and, and it's all falling apart. And we pray against that because that's, that's all indirectly, at least of the devil, and, and we come against it and God does miracles. But the bottom line is that until the kingdom comes in fullness, that's going to be there. That's just going to be there. So that's what it is. But we kingdom people, if you're surrendered to Christ, you're part of the dome in which God is king. We must never, for that reason, wait until that gets cleaned up before we start doing what we're called to do. We're called to be the future in the now. We're called to put on display what will be true later on. We're to put it on display now. In the midst of a world that is not yet resurrected, we're to show what it looks like to at least have the resurrection life flowing through us. Praise God. And in a world that's still embodies to hatred, we're to put on display what it looks like to be a people who, who've got the love of God pulsating in our veins. In a world that doesn't yet acknowledge Jesus Christ as Lord, we're to put on display what it looks like to be a person who, who fully acknowledges Jesus Christ as Lord in all that we do, day in and day out, morning, noon, and night. And this is why we're called the first fruits in the Bible. Now is the time to start manifesting the truth that you're complete in Christ. Your old self is dead and you are resurrected in him. You've got a resurrected nature flowing through you right here and right now. You know, we, we, we say Christ is risen. And everyone goes, Christ is risen indeed. And that's so true. Praise God. But I hope we see right now that when we say Christ is risen, we also need to affirm. And we are risen with him. We are risen with him. Maybe not our bodies yet. That's coming. Can't wait, actually. But the eternal life, the eternal life, it hasn't worked itself out in the body yet, but man, it's in my spirit. It's in my spirit. Is it in yours? Is it in yours? Yes. Resurrection. Amen. 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 All right. I'm going to close in a prayer to seal this. And as I do, I want to ask the prayer teams to come forward here. And it may be that your life in the midst of this fallen, death-stenched world is, is infecting you right now. And you've got some struggles and problems or whatever. And I encourage you, don't leave here with those. Come up and pray with these folks. That's what the body of Christ is for. Uh, and everything you share is, is held in complete confidence. So Abba, Father, as we now leave uh, this gathering together, uh, Abba, I pray that for anybody who is listening here in the auditorium or through podcast who isn't yet surrendered to you, right now, they surrender. They just say, I, I give you my life. I live according to your will. And if you're listening to this and you're not surrendered, I encourage you to do that right now and then come up here and tell these folks what you just did. 
And Abba, Father, I pray that you now bring us in, into more alignment with the truth. Holy Spirit, will you just be a, 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 a permanent post-it note in our brain reminding us of our true identity in you? And I, Lord, remind us to envision our true union with Christ. Envision our resurrected nature. Envision our death to sin. Holy Spirit, remind us to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. As we leave this place to... The commitment to shine the light of Jesus Christ, the resurrected light of Jesus Christ, to a world that is yet dark. Flow in us and through us and keep on transforming us in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. He is risen. Go out and shine on the world. Yeah.